Hey everybody and welcome to the Dark Cast. This is episode number 98 and I'm your host Jonathan Miley. Uh, recently Brian and I got to sit down with Jeff Vogel. He is the president of Spiderweb Software, uh, which is the company behind uh, the Avedon and Avernum games. You may have seen them on GOG or recently on Humble Bundle's weekly sale. Uh, they're top-down RPGs, uh, old-school style. Uh, so that's that's what we talk about today. Um, he's been in the industry for uh, about 20 years, and so he's seen quite a few things. Uh, so we get to talk about uh, how games have changed, how his games have changed, uh, all that kind of good stuff stuff. Uh, if you want to find out more about Dark Station, you can do that at darkstation.com. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at darkstation underscore com. If you want to hit us up on iTunes, you can do that. We're the Darkcast while you're there. Uh, subscribe to us, uh, give us a review, let us know what you think. Uh, and finally, you can drop us an email at podcast at darkstation.com. And uh, if you want to find out anything more about uh, Spiderweb software, you can check the links out in the show notes of this episode. Now, we hope you enjoy this episode. On with the show. So, uh, welcome to the Darkcast. Thank you for joining us today. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Um, so, I guess we can just start things off by asking us, or asking you to tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do uh, at Spiderweb Software, that sort of thing. Sure. Who, who am I and why should anyone care? Yes. Good paraphrase. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> So my name is Jeff Vogel, and um, it, uh, about 20 years ago, I started an indie game company called Spiderweb Software. This was back long, long before anyone had thought to use the word, the term indie game. Back then, we called it shareware. Mm -hmm. um, and I wrote um, little low-budget, old-school fantasy role-playing games for Macintosh and Windows, and was very, very surprised to find that people wanted to buy them. Um, and as soon as I realized that there was a demand, I pretty much quit grad school and started writing games full time. And I said that if I ever wrote a game that bombed, I just quit and get honest work selling shoes or something. And it hasn't happened yet. Um, still 20 years later, I'm writing, you know, retro fantasy adventures and, you know, there's always, it's a, it's a evergreen genre. There's always a demand for that. Yeah. And well, they... certainly 20 years speaks to that. Yeah, it's it's um, it makes me kind of unusual. I mean, there are lots of people over the decades that have, you know, made a living for a while writing indie games, but there are very few who have just done it, just done one thing for this long. You know, I write a game, I release it, I write a game, I release it, I make a good living, and um, I just, that's what I do now. And... Uh, it's nice to have the consistency. It's nice to prove that when you write indie games, it is possible to have a long career in it, mm -hmm. which is something that I really enjoy enjoy proving because I love indie game development and I like to be a good example. 
Awesome. Now, now you're using an interesting verb there. You, you keep saying write indie games. Um, so, are you the you know basically sole creator of uh, these games, or right uh, now Spiderweb Software has three full-time employees okay. uh, and a lot of freelancers. So I have freelancers do the art because I'm terrible at it. Um, gotcha. Um, I do all of the programming. I do okay. the vast majority of the design. I do all of the art direction. I um, generally, outside of the art, the vast majority of it is just done by me. Okay. Wow. And yeah, we're uh, Brian and I were kind of looking at some of the uh, screenshots from your games, and these are like massive worlds and we're like is it just three guys that do all of this and no it's apparently one guy that does all that <laughs> i work very efficiently well that's good that's good i i know my attention span would not allow me to do that <laughs> um so you said that you've got uh three employees there who else um is you know permanently employed at spiderweb uh, software there's my wife marianne she's my business manager and website web store maintainer and she also helps with writing dialogue and um testing and then there's linda who um renders a lot of our graphics and sort of takes care of a lot of the order processing support um dealing with angry people hmm. okay and in general, they just do their best to protect me from, you know, the issues of regular everyday life. So I could just sit here and <laughs> write dialogue and place orcs and give them swords and stuff. Oh, that's the dream, man. That, that sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, be protected from everyday life so you can just write. That, that sounds great. Um, yes. now, yeah, that's that's the plan. <laughs> where are you guys located? Seattle. Okay, it's a good deal. You've been there the, the whole time, or...? Uh, almost all of it. I, I actually, I grew up here. Um, I was in grad school in New Jersey because when I, when I started writing the games, cause New Jersey made me feel like I needed lots of fantasy worlds to escape into. And <laughs> I, I can understand that. My wife's from New Jersey. It's, there's a lot of good things about New Jersey and a certain number of things that aren't so good. Um, but anyway, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Northwest boy and I moved back to Seattle as soon as I could. Okay. It's nice. Good deal. You said that you've been around for 20 years, right? Yep. Awesome. That is a, that is a long time. How's, how's, how do you keep doing what you're doing when everything around you changes so much? That's like, like, I just look at everything. Like, the first thing I thought when I saw the, uh, the, like some of the art, I was like, "Wow, this is like what happens when you take a uh, like a gold box game and you just bring it just a little bit into the future, and it still has that like the richness and the the depth to the content, um, but there's kind of like you know there's still like a little almost like a lie of simplicity over it." Like, well, how, in how all you... fairness, we do look a lot better than the gold box games. Oh, those no, were absolutely. those were eighty sorts of forever ago. Although I did love them, those are those were great games. I am. Um, I, when I started, there really weren't many small independent developers like me, and so a lot of the systems, a lot of just the way I do things, I just, you know, I made it up for myself. I made something that works for me, my, my workflow, what I write, and and since then I've just I've just stuck with it because partly because I enjoy it and because you know it works. I'm I'm kind of a coward. I don't. 
I've had 80,000 ideas for games that weren't classic old school role-playing games, but I never write them because, you know, I'm afraid of, of tanking the whole business when I know I can write another role-playing game, and I enjoy doing it. And I'm good at it, so I keep... I, I just, you know... I'm sorry? You've never been forced to branch out. It's worked well, and you enjoy it, so that's... It, you know, it's, it, it's nice to kind of... You call that home. Yeah, it's a... Well, it's... The thing about role-playing games, especially old-school ones with really sort of intricate plot... Our games, one of the things our games are known for is really intricate plots, lots of characters, lots of choices, lots of role-playing-y type elements. And there is always a demand for that sort of game. And there always will be a demand for that sort of game. But the industry goes in and out of tending to that market. I mean, one of the greatest things, the great powers of an indie developer is the ability to find the niche of the market that nobody is tending to or people tend to only inconsistently and make their money writing that. So with role-playing games, it's like when I started, there were no good Mac role-playing games at all. I, I started out writing games for the Mac. Um, and Windows role-playing games, there weren't that much. In fact, if there had been good role-playing games out, I never would have started my business because I would have been busy playing those games. <laughs> There weren't, and so I wrote them for years. And then Bioware rose up with, uh, like, Baldur's Gate and those, and were writing terrific, really intense, story-heavy fantasy role-playing games. And it was awesome, And but I still kept doing what I did, because, you know, you can't play Bioware games 24-7, 356. And then Bioware sort of now doesn't do that anymore. It comes goes in and out. There's a couple years where there's lots of role-playing games, a couple years where there isn't. I just keep chugging on, because, you know, there's always a demand for it. Do do you see your do you see your business change with those ebbs and flows? Like, are there are there uh, are there heavy years and not heavy years? As far I as like your business goes, or is it always like constant? That's really for, for that's a really little, good question. That was one of things. When I started, whenever a new role playing game was coming out, I was freak. I would always freak out. I was like. Oh my God! This game is coming. That kind of game is coming. Baldur's Gate is coming. Elders, a new Elder Scrolls game is coming. I'm going to go out of business now. And what I found out is that when a big role-playing game comes out, it doesn't hurt my business. And in fact, sometimes it helps it because when, when, for example, Dragon Age comes out, a lot of people who didn't know they like role-playing games suddenly realize they like role-playing games, and they play finished Dragon Age, and then they're like, "Well, I want something else." Now, what? Now, now, where am I going to go kill orcs? And uh, about me and I'm always there <laughs> it's a, a, a weird constant in this like I, I always thought that they were it, it's, it's, oh, it's just odd Hello? to hear that and it's so cool that you're that you're successful at that um, obviously I mean it's oh, man that's just I'm sorry I'm still at odd that you're you've managed to do this for 20 years and you're like you, you are almost like a like a pillar that nobody knows about Except for the people that know about it, it's I don't know. <laughs> That's right, yeah. You know, we have a we have a marvelous fanatical fan base, and and these we've been doing this for so long that that you know people will be our fans for a couple of years and then drift away and then go, hey, I wonder what Spiderweb Software is up to. Oh, they're still around. I'll try their new game, and then they'll play that our games for a couple of years again, and then they'll go, okay, and this this guy's just boring me now, and drift away, and then come back again five years later. I, I get comments all the time like I played your games when I was eight years old and now I'm playing your games with my kids to which I always say yeah I know I'm really old shut up 
And let's not put a fine, fine, too fine a point on it. When I go to like E3 or Casual Connect or some sort of gaming type thing, I am old. I'm like, I'm 43 years old. By, by the game industry standards, I am older than the stones in the dirt. <laughs> uh, do you go to E3 to like show off your stuff? Uh, or do you actually, just kind of yeah, look around and you know just see what's, what's, what's happening in 20 years? I've only been to E3 once in 1999 because I wanted to see the pretty shiny lights. Um, <laughs> I don't really. Um, there is a person who who we hire to help with our marketing, and he's really awesome at it. Um, but um, I try to. I tend to. I, I tend to be a stay at home. I don't. I'm not really good at going to conventions and setting up a booth and pressing pressing the flesh. I mainly go out to conventions, like I. I like to go to PAX when when I can get a ticket, just just because I like to look at the shiny things. But I tend to go incognito. Not that people really care, even if they knew what I was. I mean, if I carried around a sign saying, "Hey, I'm Jeff Vogel," you know, nobody would care. <laughs> That's Jeff Vogel. That is. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll get recognized, but it does it doesn't happen very often. Happily, I'm not complaining about that. It's not. It's anonymity is nice. Absolutely. Sure. Um, what has has there ever been like a like a call to to ever go bigger, or it has has it always just been you know no I'm just going to stay in my little corner. Uh, so when I started, um, just a few years after when I was really established, that was when like the dot com boom happened, and all of a sudden there was money on the internet just flying. And all over the place. And I had to decide, you know, it was like a real, real opportunity. I had enough exposure at that point that I could have tried to make a bigger thing. But, you know, I'm just a, a do-my-own-thing kind of guy. I really like just, you know, going into my going into my office and making games for a few hours and then go hang out with my kids or whatever. Um, I, I don't want to get big. Um, I already make a, a good living doing what I'm doing. And Another great thing about writing indie games is you can just, you know, once you find something you like, you can just do that. Mm-hmm. I, it, one of the things that drives me crazy most is when people talk about ways that the game industry should be or game development should be. It's, if, you're, if you're a small team, you can come up with just the weirdest off-the-wall workflow design <laughs> you can come up with and just, and just go with that. And being small and nimble and not trying to get venture capital or whatever is always an option. And if you're if you're someone who just likes to create and doesn't really want to be a big wear wear business pants all the time, just do that. <laughs> it's great. I just Absolutely. Want... <laughs> I like the the business pants analogy. Um you said you started with Macs. Uh, was that just because you you owned a Mac, or did you just prefer that platform over uh, over Windows? Was it easier to to go Mac first? This is a um, th- this is one of those you know personal workflow things. Um, I I do the vast majority of my development on Macintoshes because I'm just comfortable with them. I've spent a million hours working with Windows on Windows, a million hours working on Macs. I just find with, with Macs, I personally get more work done faster. Hmm. And this is one of those things where I have to be careful and talk about it because you know everyone wants to get in a religious argument. 
<laughs> yes. Oh, believe me, I work yeah. in an Apple store. Yeah, they do. But, oh, my God. Oh. Which, in all fairness, is true. Yeah. All Mac users are hipsters. Everyone knows it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's just, you know, I'm not trying. If someone likes Windows, hey, hey man, you know, that that's your that's your steez. Go for it. But I just, just as my personal workflow thing, I, I use, um, I write the games on Mac first and then do the Windows port. Although with the game we're working on now, for the first time, we're going to try to have a simultaneous Mac Windows release. Oh. Cool. Because it, Windows does more money. De- developing for them or just releasing on it? Uh, releasing on it. Just, you know, always since, since forever, the Windows version of the game makes more money than the Mac version of the game. That's just, that's that's no big secret. That's just always true. Oh, makes sure. more money. Okay, I thought you said it took more money. I was like, oh, wow. Now we're getting into the the nitty gritty here. Now it takes it takes more on Windows. <laughs> Just a tiny bit because my, Apple gives their development tools away for free, and Windows Mac and Microsoft charges for theirs. Hmm. Oh, okay. But it's not a huge difference. Um, how's it been developing for like mobile stuff? Because I noticed that a couple of your games are actually available mobile. Three of our games are out for the iPad. Um, two of our games are out for Android. Uh, it's really it's really cool. Um, I I don't do the Android ports myself. Um, a different company does those for us. I do the ports to the iPad for myself, mm-hmm. and I love it. I love mobile devices, and I love developing for them. Um, there are so, I, so many people. I've heard from so many people who would love games like mine, but they just don't play want to play games on the computer anymore. They you know they can they want to play their games on and. On on mobile devices on on the iPad, my favorite just about the only version of that sort of game, like just a straight up Western style old school role playing game, make up a party, beat up guys, beat up bozos, and take their money type games. Um, there is really not a lot of that available on portables, and when you do find something like that, they tend to have a lot of the pay to play stuff in them, mm-hmm. and I'm. You know, I'm not going to criticize anyone for how they run their business. All I can talk to is my personal taste. And I'm far too old to write a game with microtransactions. You know, cranky old, you kids get off my lawn lawn kind of crazy coot who's like, dang it, here's how it works. You want a game? Give me some of your Earth dollars, and then I'll (laughs) game. And then you can play it, and you don't to give money for a special healing potion. You don't need to see my ugly face ever again. Your game now, you know, run with that. That's that's how that's how I work. Do you find that like something I I mean you, you said it yourself this is it is a pretty detailed uh, world, a pretty kind of, you know, hard-nosed um, RPG. Um, do you find that that kind of sits well with the kind of a shorter stint of the mobile crowd as far as getting to play it, you know, 20 minutes here, 15 minutes there? The the games we write are are long, probably you know too long by modern standards. And, you know these days games are weighing in 10, 15, 20 hours, and we still we write big games. But I'm they do break down well into into short playing sessions, like you said. One of the things I've always done since the first day, just to help with the addictiveness of the game, I like to write games where you spend more time in four small dungeons than one huge dungeon. I like to I like to break it up in a lot of ways to give it sort of the eating potato chips feel. Okay, now I can do one more thing. Okay, now I can do one more thing. Now I can do one more. Oh God, it's four in the morning. That mm-hmm. is 
that is the kind of thing I'm always trying to shoot for when I write a game. Um, are are they turn based as well? Yes. Um, okay. So that for, that, feed, that kind of feeds into the whole one more chip thing too. Yeah, yeah. That that's another thing we've always done. Um, all um, the combat in our games is always turn based. Um, which once again, you know, it's a sort of thing that it's a it's a it's a real niche thing that there's a demand for that nobody does. Lots of people love turn based games, just love them to death. But they don't get made a lot, especially in role-playing games. If you look at the really big AAA role-playing games, your Elder Scrolls on there, you know, there's no in in the on the AAA end, there's almost nothing turn-based. I mean, it's like maybe what, came out was it last year? XCOM was turn-based, but uh-huh. mm-hmm. the civilization and that was fantastic, and a lot of people picked that up, not really knowing what they were getting into, and found out that they do have a love for that kind of stuff. Oh man, I played the heck out of XCOM. That was a mm-hmm. is a great game. Um, out for the iPad soon, I think, and you know it's a perfect match for the iPad. But yeah, based things also work really well on portables because you know in between turns you just you know turn it off and the game's smart enough to save itself. Mm-hmm. You turn it on you know the next day and there, bam, you're at, you're in combat. You're at the same turn fighting the same you know slime monsters or whatever, and. Then, just play the game in twenty minute increments on the subway till you're done. Awesome. Sure. Yeah. I, I you know I wasn't I wasn't gonna write for portables. I was like the iPad came out. I was like, why would anyone want a browser that doesn't use Flash? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> the iPad comes out, and I'm just like you know portables whatever. And I go into the local Apple store because it's Seattle. We have eighty seven of them. And it's I, next I, to Starbucks. Table and I pick one up and like. Just poke at the buttons for like five seconds, literally just like seconds. And I said, okay, I got to write a game for this. <laughs> it's, it's to, to quote, um, to, to there, my guy named Mike Daisy did a, did a play about Apple. And one of the quotes he, from just describing the iPad was, it's like a kind of magic. And that's, that's what these, dev- playing games on these devices, it's just like a kind of magic. The form factor is just so, holding it in your lap is just so satisfying that now I will play a game on, the, if a game is available on 80 platforms, I'll play it on the iPad first, first choice. Hmm. It, just, it just works so well for gaming. What is it like porting from a, a game that's you know, largely mouse and keyboard based to touchscreen? Not too bad. Um, for the first time, we did a lot of a lot of thought into into the adapting the interface to try to make a mouse type thing feel natural on the. T- I think uh, the the we made the compromise we made. I think we did a pretty- <laughs> things that are odd. There are a couple of things that are a tiny bit clunky. But uh, our first iPad game came out about two years ago, and the comments we've got about it have been just pretty positive. We don't get a lot of interface comments it's um turn-based games they, they adapt pretty well Actually, a lot harder um like just hypothetically something like elder scrolls skyrim would be super duper hard to make go on a tablet because oh, yeah like action games don't work very well but a turn-based mm-hmm. sort of a, a top-down isometric or isometric view on like looking at a board that's that, that lends itself really well to tablets sure sure um, now you you have a, a pretty unique uh, philosophy uh, when it comes to your games. Uh, you you don't have any 
uh, sort of DRM. Um, I, I mean, you even described it as, as shareware earlier on your website. You talk about you know how big the uh, your demos are and the fact that you know when you're downloading it, you're actually downloading the full program. You get to unlock it. Um, so there's no extra download. You don't have to go back to the store, all that kind of stuff. Uh, what kind of drew you to that, um, that way of publishing your games? Young developers, you know, I, I get asked for advice a lot uh, from young developers. And one of the most common questions I ask is what, what do I do about pirates? What, what should I, how should I feel about piracy? And my answer is always this, don't think about it don't they don't exist pirates are like elves or leprechauns old <laughs> don't think about pirates because here's the you know getting angry at pirates is like getting angry at rain it's maybe it's gonna happen um if you write pc games if you write mac games pirates exist and being aware of them will make you angry and that anger will drive you to mistakes now don't get no Games is unethical because if everyone did it, there wouldn't be games anymore. You know, the only way that these things are going to happen is someone at some point someone's got to pony up the credit card and say, "Okay, I'm going to pay money so people can still write games." Okay, fine, but I am not in the business of pleasing or hurting pirates. I am in the business of giving a good experience to my customers, the nice, honest, decent people who occasionally give me, you know, ten by ten bucks or whatevs. Mm-hmm. So, job is life as easy as possible for them. That, if you want to prevent piracy, is how to do it. You make it as easy as possible and painless as possible to buy your stuff, and you you figure out who your customers are and you serve them, and you don't you don't you don't think about you don't think about anything else because if you ever do anything in your game just to deal with pirates pirates, ninety nine times out of hundred you've made a mistake. You've you've probably almost done wasted your time. You've almost undoubtedly done something that will irritate your customers. There are a couple exceptions to that, but by and large, you know, it's just it's just it's just the cost of doing business. Sure. And chances are you probably you know doing something specifically against that kind of thing almost puts up the flag saying, "Come and get me." <laughs> don't do, no, don't get me wrong. You have to have something to motivate people to pay mm-hmm. when. To buy our games, you know, you get the demo from our website, you call us, you give us the money, we give you a number, you type the number, and then your game is registered. That number can be reused as many times as you want. It goes good on Windows, good on Mac, um, and we have a one-year money-back money back policy if you buy the game directly from us. Uh, but the thing is, that that barrier that I put where you have to get the number from us, it's, it's super low-key. It's super easy to do. Once you get the number, you can use the number forever. You don't ever have to talk to us again. But mm-hmm. you do have some kind of barrier you can't just people learn very early on writing short you can't just ask for donations because people that donate to you not because they're bad not because they're evil but just because it's a hassle mm-hmm. you know um, evil is a great force in the universe procrastination is a far greater force <laughs> <laughs> yes along a little bit and once you, they, but once they pay you, man, get out of their way. Once they, icy nice for them, no matter what. That's that's my. And it's obviously worked, because you're you're still here twenty years later doing your thing. 
Yeah, it's it really when you're a small indie developer, you're you people got to like you. When you run a small business like that, it's is super important a clientele to build a fan base um, that'll stick with you game after game. And the to do that, they need to like you. You know, you have to be nice to them. Once they give you money, everything has to be great for them. You have to give good service and not anger them and not take their game away. Mm-hmm. I that's vitally important if you wanna if you want business like this. Uh, and and obviously you do have a, a lot of loyal fans. Uh, is that part of the reason that uh, you've kind of stuck with the the fantasy RPG genre, or do you ever dream about branching out into sci-fi or modern day or espionage? I hear somebody tried that one time and it wasn't too big of a success. Uh. <laughs> we do actually play with settings a lot. We wrote we had one game called Nethergate, which was a it was a historical fantasy role playing game that took place in the Roman Empire. Okay. Um, and I did lots of to make it you know, kind of authentic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wrote a series of games called Gene which was a science fiction fantasy hybrid where you play a shaper and you have the magical ability to create new life forms to serve you. And so you can run around the game with this huge army of mutant monsters. We like to, um, we like to write fantasy games. But we like fantasy does sell a lot better, but mm-hmm. we like to play with it. To, and because being an indie gives you the freedom to do weird things. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. Don't have to serve the almighty dollar, as it were. Doing doing weird, unusual things. Is... That's, that's your go-to? Um, are all your worlds... Uh connected or you know do, or, or is it just a matter of like you know the ones with the certain titles are are together in the same world or are they all kind of you know you said you mentioned you had one that was kind of a, a, a roman empire historical uh fantasy rpg the rest seem to be very into the high fantasy portion of it or do they all have a common bond or is it just a setting that's common it is um four we have four we've written games in four different settings um, Nethergate, Avernum, Avedon, and Geneforge. And each has its own setting, um, its own history, its own game system. Um, we can write a lot of games in one series. The Geneforge saga has five games in it, for example, but all of our worlds are, are separate. Hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, now, now, one of the things that kind of ties um, all of your games together is your, uh, you know, more retro style um, of of graphics. Um, is there a particular reason that you kind of stick with that? Budget, graphics, okay. really expensive, um, and I'm the greatest programmer in the world. Uh, I, I I'm an okay programmer, but I have to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. So. Moving on to doing 3D games is probably a bit above my skill level. Okay. But you know, I really like um, icon graphics. It's just something that I really like. And over the last couple years, that style has actually gotten a lot more popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, you look at indie games, and now there's millions of games that have simpler 16-bit style graphics. Mm-hmm. So, like, we stood still, and the world came to us. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You pulled one of those fashion crazes where you were popular at the beginning, you know, and it, it kind of went away, but you were still there, and, and you were you were worn by your fans, and then you kind of came back when the uh, the cycle came back around. Yeah, super, you know, really simple old-school graphics are, are all the rage now. Um, you know, you look at any Humble Bundle, and out of ten games, there will be three or four that have, like, these these simple graphics. Um, like, what was it in the last Humble Bundle? There's a game called McPixel, mm-hmm. uh, a game called Proteus, Hotline Miami. Uh, what, <laughs> you know, simple graphics are neat. Um, people actually kind of like them now, and they're they're much more acceptable now than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Well, that and it's it, people have almost held them to a mark of uh, of almost quality because you're forced to do more with with less, as it were. Um, you have to you have to express yourself. You have to have a clear vision of what you're putting forward because you can't just hide it behind uh, behind pretty colors and uh, and shiny things. Yep, and don't get me wrong. My games are really low budget. I mean, I'm not <laughs> there, but it's um, are I'm still not the greatest visual designer in the world. I will I will admit that. But you know, they're fine. They look all right. They look good. Like you know, like it's, it's, it. It immediately took me back to to childhood stuff. It, it immediately kind of kind of brought me back to that point where I was like, man, I remember the coolest stuff used to look like this and and i got interested the moment i saw it like you know this this looks like it could be really like in depth like that stuff used to be and i'm really kind of happy to hear that it is and and it's not just old people you know kids play my games all the time the um there's just something about that look that appeals to some people i mean there's mm-hmm. a lot of people, they insist on triple a games with a lot of polygons and I'm never going to sell anything to those people. But there are a lot, and you know, good for them. They, they are allowed to like what they like. But there are a lot of people who like a simpler look. And I, you know, thank goodness for that. That's how I stay in business. Very true. Uh, now, a couple of years ago, you uh, actually wrote a book, The Pooh Bomb. True Tales of Parental Terror. I was going to say because that I've seen my son drop a couple of those. <laughs> it's a it's a it's an occupational hazard. Yes. So so what what exactly is the poo bomb about? Um, well, well like, Jonathan, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> not not that poo bomb. The, the I just poo bomb <laughs> humor um, when I'm not writing games and. I just started writing and posting these, you know, this sort of funny travel log of, um, you know, being a parent, but just really bitter and angry and obscene and just going off on lots of rants about how horrible being a parent is. And uh, people really liked, parents really liked to read it to let off steam. And non-parents really liked to read it to to know that they made the right choice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that it enforced their, their their view of the stereotype. Absolutely. Yep. And, uh, and then I edited it up into a book and sold it, and it went out into bookstores, and nobody wanted it. But you know that's that's okay. Nobody. <laughs> no, anyway, so you see what happens when you take a chance. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
for fun, and it turned out to be like <laughs> about. So that's great. So is it is it something that you would like to try again, or every once in a while, just as a just for fun? Um, if anyone's interested in reading the Pooh Bomb and, and all of my parenting humor and or humor, that he go to ironycentral.com. Again, okay. ironycentral.com. All there, all free, all all hilarious. Uh, I, I write a lot to let off steam, but it's not something I would try to do as a real job. Making a living as a writer is super hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I've already gotten successful at field that's really hard to make a living at, and I think trying to do it twice is too much for one lifetime. Sure. All right, well, uh, the next section... Uh, I have to let Brian ask these questions because this is this is his section of the podcast. Okay. Um, I uh, I like to end podcasts the same way kind of James Lipson likes to end the the inside the actor's studio, since we get a real kind of in depth look at at you and what you've done. Um, he likes to go with the uh, the Proust questionnaire, and so I have my own little questionnaire that I put together. Um, that's little gaming wise, a little shorter. Uh, it's only six questions, but you know, hopefully it's. It's kind of meant to bring to bring you out even a little bit more, just kind of your likes and, and what you go after. Um, so the first question is, um, what's your favorite, or rather, who is your favorite video game protagonist? <clears throat> question. Um, okay. Well, okay. I will tell you the first one that immediately jumped into my mind is, um, what's the main character from Psychonauts? Raz. Oh. Raz, there you go. Yeah, I mean, that was the first one that jumped in my mind. I'm gonna have to go to go with that. God, I love that game. It's a good game. Okay. Good game. Who's your favorite antagonist? Opposite end. Hmm. I think. At, let's see. So. The antagonist I have the most fond memories of fighting and defeating, just from a pure spike football satisfyingness, is um, Rolos Zek, the god of war, who is one of the big bosses in the power expansion of EverQuest. Wow. Wasn't a character in the way no one in EverQuest is really a character. He's just this box of numbers that you go up and hit. <laughs> It was just a really giant, epic fight back in the day, and we worked on it for hours and hours and hours with his, like, 80 phases. And, and and then we beat it, and it was great. And it's sort of, you know, there's a lot of debate in game design about how much there should be challenge, how much the player should fail. Should the player be allowed to fail at all? And, you know, I'm back in the day when, you know, there were bosses where you would fail and fail and fail. And real satisfaction when you beat them it, they're that and i kind of miss that that trade-off oh, absolutely i mean i didn't raid in everquest but i raided for years and wow and there was there there was almost nothing more satisfying than after weeks of work you put into one thing to finally see that boss come down yeah a lot of the really good world of warcraft and now that now serious raiding is really a thing anymore Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've, they've opened it up to everybody. And I understand their reasonings for wanting to 
kind of expand their content and to get every to give everybody a chance to see it. But at the same time, it really has kind of robbed that that crowd that loves the challenge. That unless they're there first run and unless they're putting all that that work into it rather than on their own time it's uh it's real difficult for them to kind of keep coming back yeah i think i think that there is room in computer gaming for giving the player a feeling of accomplishment mm-hmm. but the accomplishment has to be earned otherwise it's not an accomplishment mm-hmm. i'll put that on a show. <laughs> All right, next question. What's the game you return to most often? Rock Band. Awesome. Shooting from the hip, man. No, no. <laughs> that's, that's perfect. That, that's exactly the way it should be. Originally, I titled this the lightning round, but I found that most people gave it a lot more thought than really from the hip action. So I'm kind of searching for a new name, but that's that's the best kind of answer I get. Yeah. So that... absolutely. Um, what is your least favorite video game trope? Oh, oh, let me, um, okay, could you say that again, please? Yeah, your least favorite video game trope. Um, what, what, are the, what, what kind of keeps coming up in video games that you just that you just detest? Uh, someone earlier said, like, Amnesia as a kind of a story jumping off point. Um, yeah. Other people said, like, Monster Closets, that kind of thing. Yeah, Amnesia, Amnesia makes a lot of sense. I do have a, um, I do have a shoot from the hip answer for that, but yeah, Amnesia. Amnesia kind of makes sense for just how video games work, so I think we kind of have to live with that one, even though it is pretty irritating. The video game trope that you're, that just just makes me scream when I come across it is when a game includes the Towers of Hanoi puzzle. It's you know the puzzle where there's like a big disc and a medium disc and a small disc and three pegs, and you yes. I move the stack from one to another, but you can only move. A, you can't move a disc onto a smaller disc. That's the classic Towers of Hanoi puzzle. It is. It is. I've seen it happen in game after game after game, and it is so unbelievably hacky. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, you you, you kind of touched on it earlier, but uh, if you had the chance to do anything else, uh, profession-wise, um, what would you like to try? <sighs> Um, I probably would have made a pretty good lawyer. Right on. <laughs> and, uh, and finally, um, at the end of your life, at the end of uh, your time making games, um, when you when you come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom and Toad kind of looks over all your deeds, um, what do you want him to say to you? You were fine. <laughs> 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 that's that's probably the best answer i've ever gotten that's excellent <laughs> oh. <laughs> thank, thank you for indulging me jeff <laughs> all right so I, I guess we will uh end this talk with uh can you can you tell us about what's next for spiderweb software what what do you have in the works for us what we're working on now is a game called Avedon to the Corruption, which is the second game in our Avedon trilogy. It's been a very sort of um, Game of Thrones-ish dark fantasy, very plot-heavy, very political, the Avedon games. Um, Avedon 1, Avedon the Black Fortress did really well and were just bleeding out our eyeballs trying to finish the second one and trying to. Ha- we wanted to have it out for Mac and Windows in, in October. That's our goal. The end. Um, and then we're also gonna, we, um, we like to write our oldest, 
earliest games were really cool, but write them every decade or so to put in new technology and stuff mm-hmm. and put um, um, portables. Next year, we're going to add Avernum 2 Crystal Souls, which will be the second game in our Avernum trilogy, which is our most popular series of games overall. And that's what we'll be doing. Okay. Well, good deal. Um, if, some, if somebody wanted, like, a starting point, what's... What would be the best the, the best game you have right now to kind of jump into your world with? Our newest game, um, the first game in our um, in the rewrites of our newest trilogy is that it's called Avernum Escape from the Pit. A E R N U M. Avernum Escape from the Pit from Spiderweb Software uh, on Steam. It's on Good Old Games. Well, GOG.com. It's on our website, SpiderWebSoftware.com. Um, there's a big demo there. Um, Avernum Escape from the Pit or Abaddon the Black Fortress. Um, very different. They're both turn-based role-playing games, very plot-heavy, but very different. Avernum is much more action-y, hacky, exploring-y, and Abaddon is much more like Dragon Age, more plot and diplomacy and making hard choices. But those are the two I look at. And we have big demos, so, you know, you don't have to spend money. <laughs> Awesome. Well, awesome. Uh, can you tell us where uh, you sort of went into that just now? But can you tell us where we can get your games and on what platforms? Um, for um, Avernum and Abaddon are both available for iPad from um, iTunes. They're both available for Android tablets from Google. Mm-hmm. All games are available on either Steam or GOG.com, and of course, you can also go always go to SpiderWebSoftware.com. Where you'll get the demo and the money-back guarantee. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, joining us today, Jeff. I uh, hope everything goes well. Wish you luck in the coming months of crunch time for uh, Avedon 2. Hope everything goes great. And uh, have a good one. Thank you very much. This was a lot of fun. It was indeed. Absolutely, Mir. Thanks for coming. <laughs>